Amen. Helen Keller, she was born both deaf and blind, which is so unbelievable to think about. I would have given up right away. She isn't, and she's known for just her tenacity. And Helen Keller, she says this, and she says, one door, if one door closes, another one opens. And you're thinking, yeah, we know that. But then she says this, oftentimes we don't notice the other open door because we're so fixated on the closed door before us. Let me say that again. When one door closes, another one opens, but so often we're fixated on the closed door that we don't recognize the other open door. In that context, I want to tell you about David Brainerd. David Brainerd, he was a missionary in the mid-1700s. He was a missionary to the Delaware Indians. Now, he had a lot of struggles growing up. When he was 14, he was orphaned, of course, which means he didn't have a mom and dad at a really tough time in his life. And then when he was in college, he contracted an illness that really robbed him of really living the life that he wanted. And then he also suffered with depression. In fact, his sufferings led to him dying at the age of 27 years old. When you look at that, you're seeing closed door, closed door, closed door, closed door. And he wrote about that in his journal that's really helped missionaries over the last 300 years. And in his journal, he uses the word pain and suffering and struggle over 100 times. Closed door, closed door, closed door. Except that David Brainerd, he didn't fixate on the closed door. In fact, he just kept looking for the open door. When you read his journal... Yeah, he talks about his pain and suffering over 100 times, but over 600 times, he uses the word happy, joy-filled, blessed, and all the other words that you use when life is seemingly good, which means that every time he did see the closed door, he went to where God was opening another door. It didn't take away from his pain and his suffering, but six times, the amount of times he wrote about his pain, he wrote about joy. And why could he do that? How could he do that? Losing both parents at a formative age and contracting an illness and dying in his late 20s. How could he do that? Well, it's because he knew the mission before him was so critical that he didn't have time to fixate on the closed door. He had to look at the open door and keep working through that lens. When you read the book of Acts, it's the same thing. These guys are trying to spread the news of Jesus in different towns and the towns they want them for a while, but then they close the door on them literally and they try to kill them so they have to go to a different town and a different town and a different town, but they don't give up. Why? Because the mission of the church is too critical to let a slam door deter them from what they're called to do. And as we look at Acts 14, we're going to see the same thing. For Paul and Barnabas. So I want you to open to chapter 14, and I want to begin just in verse 6, and then we'll pick it up in verse 8 in a moment. Here's what verse 6 says It says, They fled to the region of Lyconia, to the towns of Lystra and Derby in the surrounding area. Why? Because again, they were loved and cared for, and people wanted to hear what they had to say, and then finally the, some of the Jews would come around and say, oh, don't listen to those guys, and then somehow they would listen to the Jews, and then they would try to stone Paul or stone Barnabas. They'd have to go to another town, and that's exactly 
what is happening in Acts 14. But what you're going to see in a moment is the mission of the church is too critical to focus on the closed door. They look, where's the next open door? And it's such a great illustration for us as the church because there are going to be times when you and I, where we talk about Jesus or we try to live out our faith and people aren't going to want to hear it after a while. And so what do you do? How do you not give up? How do we recognize that the mission of the church is so critical and that mission is to help people move one step closer to God and each other. We believe that happens through Jesus. That's not just the chapel's tagline. We hang everything on that because it's the biblical mandate of who we are as a Christ follower. We are the ones helping people. We move them closer. Sometimes they take steps back and that's okay, but as long as we're helping them take that next step and next step towards God, towards each other, and that happens through hearing about Jesus. And we don't stop no matter what happens, no matter what closed door is in front of us. And we remain flexible and we keep going on because the mission's too critical. And so what I'm going to tell you today is four ways for us to continue to push forward no matter what closed door is in front of us to continue to live out the mission of the church just like we're going to see here with Paul and Barnabas. So fast forward just a couple verses to verse 8. Look what happens here. While they were in Lystra, Paul and Barnabas came upon a man with crippled feet. He'd been that way from birth, so he'd never walked. He was sitting and listening as Paul preached. Looking at him, Paul realized he had the faith to be healed. So Paul called to him in a loud voice, stand up, and the man jumped to his feet and started walking. I can't imagine being that man who could never walk before. Every single day, someone had to bring him to wherever he needed to be. And there he is listening to Paul's words, and he is just leaning in, listening to the goodness of God, to the love of God displayed in the person of Jesus Christ. And man, he is just hearing what he had to say, and it's it's going into his bones. It's going into his heart. He's leaning in, and Paul notices this man. He notices that his faith is present. He notices that he believes what Paul is saying. And so Paul, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is able to touch this man and heal this man. And what it shows us about the mission of the church that Paul does so well here, that you and I get to do as well. And it's the first key to push through, no matter what happens to us, is to stay attentive to the needs of others. Again, looking straight at him, Paul realized he had faith to be healed. This man's faith healed him, but who recognized that? Paul did. His eyes were on the one, even though there was a crowd. And I don't know about you, but in our culture today, we are told not to do this, meaning we're told not to help other people or be in tune with others' needs. We are told to look out for number one, and that's why we are so obsessed with ourselves. In fact, I call it the I'm looking down mentality, which means we just kind of look down and we're just paying attention to ourselves and we hope not to bump into other people, especially if they have struggles, because we don't really have time to help them because we're busy. We're busy accomplishing our goals and helping out our family and doing what we want to do. I kind of did this the other day unintentionally at a store. My wife and I, we were out on a day date, which never really happens much. We're just enjoying ourselves, and I will go anywhere to be with my wife, but oftentimes she wants to go to a store, and 
as a, a, a man um, who likes to shop, not really, uh, I was in the store, and I went over to the men's section. This is a real small section of a store. The women's section made up three-fourths of the store. Men over here, I looked, and I was done within about three and a half minutes. And I'm trying to find where my wife is, and she's like, I'm going to go here and here and here. I'm like, you do whatever you want. I'll take the cart. I'll push the cart. I'll follow you. But the problem is I was pushing the cart. I was looking at my phone. Looking down on my phone... With a cart. You know where this is going. I'm not paying attention. I'm just going down. I'm looking at the news, which, you know, that doesn't really have good things to say. And I'm reading. I'm like, really? Pushing this cart, and there's this lady. I don't notice the lady because I'm too immersed in my phone. And this lady's probably looking at me and thinking, is this idiot going to get over? Is this idiot going to end up wrecking into me with his cart because he's not paying attention? And it's exactly what I did. All of a sudden, I'm looking at my phone, and I, hear, I feel a bang. I look up. I'm cart to cart with this lady, and she is looking at me, and she didn't have to say a word, but I can tell by her thoughts she was cussing me out. She was saying all of these things, like this dumb, you know, and I was like, I can't believe I did that. And then she walked away, and I put my phone away, and I kept going. But I, I kept thinking that that's how we live life, right? We, we just look down, and so often, a lot of times, literally we're on our phone, or we're distracted by ourselves, and we don't even see other people. Imagine Paul coming to this guy, and he's just preaching, he's just doing that, and this dude is just listening to him. And if Paul didn't pay attention and help him, who would have? You see, so often in our culture, we know there's needs. We're just praying that someone else fulfills those. What's interesting about that is this. When Jesus is summarizing the whole Bible, he says, just do two things. Just two. Love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Which just means love God in all that you do. And then he says, there's something exactly similar to that. Love other people. But that's not the end of what he says, is it? Love other people how? Like you love yourself. I'm glad Jesus put it that way. Because I really love myself. And so do you. Here's how I know you do. You do what I do. We'll help other people after and if our needs are met, our desires are met. We'll go all out, spend whatever money, Spend whatever time, spend whatever energy fulfilling our needs, and then whatever leftover we have after we actually look up from our life will help other people. And Jesus is like, that same energy, that same obsession that you have with yourself, put it towards other people. Be attentive to their needs. Do what Paul did. Do what Jesus did. I mean, imagine a church where we took the mission so seriously that we cared about other people as much as we cared about ourselves. Oh my goodness. We would have to add 16 more services to this church. <laughs> you imagine loving people the way that you love yourself and want to be loved and you show that to other people. It'd be revolutionary. We just don't really do it that well as Christians. And I think we need to. I heard a story the other day about Todd. Pastor Todd's uh, our other co-lead pastor, and if you're not aware of it or not, he and Lisa have just been going through a hard journey with Carter, their son, since February. And he's been diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called Pandas, and it's been, been a really big struggle. And he texted me last Saturday, and, and he goes, hey, I'm on a date with Lisa. And I was like, wow, that's great. 
And he said, yes. He goes, we needed it so badly. And he was telling me what he was doing. And, and I said, well, how did you go on a date with your wife? And he said, well, there was a couple in the church that said, hey, just bring Carter over. We know it could go badly, but we're okay with that because we want you just to go out. And he was able to go out and reconnect with his wife without the pressure of being a dad. That's Paul. There's a need and I'm going to fulfill it. That couple took a risk, but they risked well because they know that they would want someone to do that for them, and so they just did it for Todd. I mean, imagine doing those little things. I'm not talking about big things. I'm talking about the little things because it's the little things that make the biggest difference, don't they? If you and I want to remain critical to, or to, to our mission and understand how critical it is and what we should do, just be attentive to other people. That's what Paul does here. I'm going to keep moving forward. Verses 11 through the first part of 15. Look what Paul says. Crowds saw that Paul had done. They shouted in their local dialogue, these men are gods in human form. And they decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus and that Paul was Hermes since he was a chief speaker. Now the temple of Zeus was located just outside the town. So the priest of the temple and the crowds brought bowls and wreaths of flowers to the town gates and they prepared to offer sacrifices to the apostles. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay, and they ran out among the people shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We don't just remain attentive to the needs of people. We also have to be attentive to our own hearts and make sure we don't fall into the trap that thankfully Paul and Barnabas don't. And the second key to staying on mission, because we understand how critical the mission is, is to stay humble and authentic. Imagine Paul and Barnabas for a moment. These guys just go in and start doing things and saying things in the name of Jesus. And these people say, holy smokes, these guys are literal gods and they were going to be worshipped. I mean, that would be hard to say no to that. Like, All of us want to be worshipped in here already, right? We believe that we're God half the time. We want people to bow down to us, not literally, but we want to be the God of people's lives. We want to set the standard. We want people to look at us with favor. And Paul and Barnabas, they have all the favor of the people. It's incredible. And yet, they're like, I I don't want this. And you may look at the story and say, that is so weird. Why is this happening? Well, as legend goes, you see these two guys, Zeus and Hermes, they were Roman gods. And Allegedly, these gods visited the people one time, and he was, they were visiting the people, and only one elderly couple showed them hospitality, and as a result, these Roman gods struck down all the people of the town. And these people are like, oh my goodness, what if this is happening again? We don't want to die. We want to worship these gods, and so they throw themselves at Paul and Barnabas, and Paul and Barnabas are so distraught. They're literally grieving. That's how people grieved back then. They threw off their clothes. Interesting way of doing that. But that's what they did. And they said at the end, so key to this, we are just like you. I love that. You guys are a mess, so are we. You struggle, so do we. You have issues, so do we. You have relationship struggles, so do we. But what makes us different is that we have a relationship with Jesus. We know the power of the Holy Spirit just doing what he's asking us to do, being on mission. 
You don't need to worship us. We're just like you, a human form. They don't look at themselves as the king. They look at themselves as the servants to the king. And when you look at yourself like that, you will live differently than as if you believe you are the king or God himself. I can say this with true integrity. That as one of the lead pastors of the church, I get to go from here to Port Clinton to Sandusky over the weeks. I get to hang out with our staff and see who they are. And I'm telling you, the people that you see on stage, whether they're leading worship or teaching or hanging out with your kids or students or whoever you see that represent the chapel As a servant of Jesus, as a staff member, they are the same on stage as they are off stage. Now, you may be asking, what about Charles? I don't know about Charles. He's in Sandusky today, and he may be talking smack about me, so I don't know about Charles. The jury's out on him, but no, Charles truly is. He is such a good man. Our pastoral team, I'm just telling you, it shouldn't be like this, but I have friends serving other churches. I listen to podcasts and read horror stories of pastors and worship leaders and staff and other Christians who think they're God. It is dangerous and disgusting. I'm just really glad our staff isn't like that at all. We need to be the same as Christ followers. You see, if you were to go around and ask people what they think of the church, Would they say that the people in the church are servants of the king, or would they believe that we're the king? In other words, how do we live? How do we act? How do we serve? How do we love? Is it with humility, recognizing that Jesus humbled himself and came down as a human and and died, and we're supposed to do the same thing? Or would they look at us as above even Jesus himself? You see, it's a huge difference. Paul and Barnabas could have been like, bring it on. This is awesome. Like, hey, thanks, Jesus, for all that you've done for me. We'll get back to you in a moment, but this feels really good. But they kept their eyes on the mission. They knew that their purpose was not to be served, but to serve, to be attentive to the needs of others, not to look down and just walk around in life like it's all about them, but to look up and notice because they were humble and authentic. If you want to be in the mission of the church, like we see here in Acts 14, we have to have that kind of mentality. Let's continue to move on here. The rest of verse 15 and 18. It says, we've come to bring you the good news. If you have your Bible and a pen, will you circle that word, two words, good news? It's one Greek word, euangelion. It means the gospel. I'll tell you what that is in a moment. We bring you the good news that you should turn from your worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea, and everything in them. In the past, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, but he never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. Listen to me just for a moment. If you're interacting with someone that doesn't believe in God, this is your verse. Here's how I'll tell you to use it. So many people say they don't see God. Well, the reason they don't see God is because only they see themselves. Again, we want to be worshipped. We want to be God. And God loves us so much that he allows us to do whatever we want to do. It's this concept called free will. You don't have to worship him. You can, but you don't have to. But because we choose not to, we suppress the truth, Romans 1 tells us. We can live and act as 
any way we want. But if we just pause and say, I want you, though, to see the evidence of God in nature, the evidence of God in ourselves, the evidence of what may be in creation, then just maybe there is a God. Great verse to use. Let's keep going. He never left them without evidence of himself and his goodness. For instance, he sends you rain and good crops and gives you food and joyful hearts. But even with these words, Paul and Barnabas could scarcely restrain the people from sacrificing to them. This is the key, the third key to remaining on mission. That even if a door closes in front of you, God will open another door. Just don't focus on that. Come over here. And this is what you should do. This is what Paul and Barnabas did. They spoke the truth. They spoke the truth unapologetically. They spoke the truth to people who didn't believe in what they were saying at first. They spoke the truth knowing it could have got them killed. They spoke the truth with love and with grace. And that's the big difference. Uh, here's how Paul does it. He first says, turn to the living God. Our God's not dead. Our God's alive. He is alive, and not only is he living and present and amongst us, he also is the creator. Everything that he made, look around, that comes from our God. And he's not just a creator who then goes back up to heaven and kind of does his own thing. He's also a sustainer. He sends you rain and good props and gives you food. I mean, the, the food that you're eating and the growth that you see in the crops and you and I have to mow our grass more than I think I've ever had to mow in the month of July in my life. That comes from God, whether you want to recognize it or not. And then he says this. I just love this. He will give you joy. You see, our culture says you can have joy if everything is going your way. So it's based on circumstances. Paul says, do you want to know a joy you can have even when someone dies? Or a joy that can happen even when you're suffering? Or like David Brainerd, when his parents were taken away and he almost died and then he ended up dying by the age of 30 you want to know that kind of joy comes from Jesus but what's so great is that Paul and Barnabas don't stand up here and preach down to them doesn't ridicule their beliefs doesn't get angry with them when they disagree with them no they realize no I want to come to you as one of you and just share the truth. He did it with grace. He did it with love. There was no bias. There was no politics. There was nothing other than good news. See, if someone comes to you and they say this, I have good news for you. You're so excited. Like, what could this mean? You stand up a little straighter. Your attention's now on that person because you want to know what the good news is. What if they say the good news is this and then they judge you? You're like, that doesn't feel like good news. Here's the good news, and then they condemn you. Or here's the good news, and they make you feel worthless. Whether you recognize it or not, that's how our culture views the good news. And yet we have the greatest news ever told that even though you turned away from God, God never turned away from you. Even though you suppressed the truth of God, God came to you. I mean, how amazing is that? Not only is there a God and he came to you, but he came to you so he can have a relationship with you. That if you die, you can be with him forever. And as you live, he will live in and through you and you can live as if heaven's on earth. I mean, that is such good news. Imagine if we heralded that good news and we were really good people at the same time. Again, we would have to ask Sonia to sing 16 services a week. She'd lose her voice, but I think she'd be okay with that. That's the good news. How are you living out the good news? When people interact with you and they hear about the chapel and they see your life, they're like, that is good news. Where are you bad news? 
you want to stay on mission, you need to notice and do the little things for people because little things turn into big things. And as you're doing that, you need to remain humble, recognizing you're not the king, you're a servant of the king. And what a privilege it is to be that. And as you serve the king, you recognize that you get to speak the truth. You don't have to be afraid. You don't hold back, but you get to deliver the good news. Should be great news to those listening. Paul, he continues on, and here's the fourth and final thing. Acts 19 and 20. Then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds of their side. They stoned Paul, dragged him out of the town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town. The next day he left with Barnabas for, Der- with Barnabas for Derby. You may think, that's why I don't want to tell anybody about Jesus. <laughs> I don't want to get stoned. I don't want people to make fun of me. I don't want that. But what's so amazing, Romans 8 says that God works all things for good for those who love him. That even when a door closes, God may open two more over here. You see, here's what happens. Paul and Barnabas reject being worshipped. They speak the truth. The guy's like, oh, no, 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 no. You're not saying what I want. They stone Paul. Two things happen in a stoning. Literally taking rocks and chucking them at your face and at your body. Doesn't that hurt just thinking about it? Two things happen. One, you die. Or two, maybe the good news is you can live and drink your food through a straw the rest of your life. I mean, that's really the choice that happens when you're stoned. But the believers gathered around Paul. Hopeless situation. They prayed. They just prayed, God, spare his life. Next day he gets up. Probably has some bruises. Goes does his next thing, because the mission doesn't stop. That door closed, I'm going down this door. And this is the fourth key. The fourth key of being on mission is the most important. It's to surround one another with prayer. Prayer is simply dependence on God. That's what prayer is. Depending on God in relationship with him. That's why at the chapel, our value is to depend on God We can't do anything unless through his word and through prayer. We had a storm come through our house about a week ago, and I looked outside, there's a huge branch, huge. And thankfully, it didn't crash onto my house. And I'm not strong, obviously, and I'm dragging this thing to the woods, and I'm thinking, okay, after weeks and weeks and weeks, it'll finally die, and I can chop it up and throw it in the woods. And I go out there a couple of days later to mow my lawn and look at this branch. All the leaves have withered already, and the branch is getting so hard, I'm able to break it and then put it into the woods. I don't even need a saw. How awesome is that? Because you don't want me to have a saw. Because the next time you'd see me, I would be without a leg. I'm just not really good at that stuff. And I thought to myself, in two days, look at the difference. That's why Jesus says, apart from God, you can do nothing. If we're not connected to him through the word, through prayer, and seeing what he can do, just like Paul sees what happens to the believers here, then nothing would have happened, and Paul probably would have died. But these believers being connected to God, a living God through this living body, ended up, through their prayer, saving him. If you're in this room and you don't feel God, and you're not in his word, and you're not praying, you will not hear God. He may be gracious to you and speak through people, but after a while, you're going to look like the branch. You're alive, but not. We stay connected to him through prayer. And then we see through, depending on God, we can't do anything 
without him. And now I start to see, I can't do that. I need to pray about that. I can't do that. What does God's word say? I can't do that. And he keeps us right on mission. You see, Helen Keller says that when one door closes, another one opens. But she said, oftentimes we don't see the open door because we're staring at the closed door. There are going to be so many closed doors thrown in your face as a follower of Jesus that if you continue to focus on that, you will be so discouraged that you'll want to give up. David Brainerd was discouraged, but he was hopeful. And 300 years later, we still read his story. We still read Paul's story. Well, people 300 years later read ours. Pay attention to others. Be humble in the process. Speak the truth with love. And depend on God through prayer. Let's pray together. Paul, Lord, said, as he went through all of these things, so many closed doors, so many persecutions, so many struggles, so many painful issues, he said, glory to God, who in working through us can do more than we can imagine. Lord, may that be our story. We give our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Sunday. Thank you.